3: We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go.
2: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 179. Getting pumped up for the wildcard game on Tuesday. Scott, I cannot wait. It's going to be my first playoff game in attendance.
3: Yeah, it's gonna be my first playoff game in a very long time, like since the '90s. But the uh, I, I'm pumped up. It's uh, I'm glad. I'm glad that we didn't have this this ridiculous uh, situation where if we were to tie the Red Sox and play on Monday, I know some people wanted the division no matter what and play that game. But to me, I'm like, I don't know. I, I rather would have uh, just just set up the team the way. Girardi wants it the way everybody knows, going in with a full head of steam, focused on Minnesota, win that game, and move on. To me, that's the the best case scenario, best way to move forward to go to Cleveland. So I'm happy with this.
2: I agree with you. I I, I don't think I wanted it, but in the sense, I kind of wanted to just screw the Red Sox. And catching the Red Sox and winning the division would have been a cherry on top of an otherwise tremendous season overall for the Yankees. We still have bigger plans. We still want them to go as far as they can in the playoffs. And I listened to your segment with Brian Kenny, and he was saying it's World Series or bust for the Yankees. He's stuck in the 90s. It's no longer World Series or bust for this 2017 team. We didn't even think they were going to be in the playoffs. If they lose to the Twins, I think that's a disappointment. But if they get to a division series and lose to the Indians, who might be the best team in baseball, you kind of got to tip your hat in that situation.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think he was off base with... uh, I don't think he really has a, a finger on the pulse of the Yankee fan because... I do believe that now the expectation that we're going into this wild card game and we're playing the Minnesota Twins, like we got to win this game. That's that's where the expectations are right now. I think people are are excited for this team and see the possibilities. But at the same time, because what we're doing and what we've done this year, and we're kind of playing with house money. If they went into the ALDS and were are are not to come out of it, um, like you said, you're playing a team that, that literally won 22 games in a row, set the major league record. Um, you know, probably. W- one of, if not one of the two best teams in baseball right now, you could see how that that game would be down to uh, down to the wire. So, I think that getting past the wild card game, getting some good playoff experience in a series, is extremely crucial for this young core of Yankees. And uh, I don't think anybody would be like, I mean, granted, everybody everybody be disappointed. No doubt about it. That goes without being said. But nobody would be, uh, you know completely mad and upset for the season and call it a failure.
2: I also have to set the caveat that it depends on how they would lose. I, I, Who knows what's going to happen if they make it past the Twins. We're not writing off the Twins at this point. Don't worry. No. We're going to get into it, the entire wildcard game breakdown. But it all also depends on how they would get bounced from the playoffs if something tragic happens like another bug incident or a walk off in like game five then you feel like you get your guts ripped out but if they get beat they get beat not going to say that about the twins though but before we get to any of that Scott it was an awesome time on Saturday at the event at the Bronx Brewery beforehand and then at the game versus the Blue Jays the Yankees won, and it was still sort of interesting because the the Yankees were not out of the division race at that point. So much so that Girardi shuffled the rotation and started CC instead of Jaime Garcia, which I think was a nice. We little, were happy about, yeah, a nice little treat for us. But I think just thank you to everyone who came. We have a bunch of people we're going to go through who, um, you know, who came to the event, and there's a ton of people more. But. I just want to say that it was awesome to see that many people at the brewery i don't we don't have an official count, but it was a ton of people out the back deck and everything at ten thirty in the morning. We got <laughs> thrown a curveball. we didn't think the game was going to be moved to one o'clock. We thought it was only going to be four o'clock or seven p m We didn't think we were going to have to get everyone there for breakfast pretty much, but it was awesome the dedication that people showed and Every time we have an event like this or every time we talk to people and they say, I listen to the podcast, you know, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of my favorite things, blah, 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 whatever nice thing they say, it's just very humbling and it was awesome and I had a great time on Saturday.
3: Yeah, no doubt. When First of all, when, when we realized that the game was going to be as early as it, was, it was, uh, I was, I was not happy about the situation, obviously. Um, we had had, we have had like a smaller event in the city. I think it was the, uh, breakfast beers for 20 years thing that we did around the 96 reunion. And that got bumped up or that was a one o'clock game and we did something very early. And, uh, we just saw how people, you know, came in a little late. This was different. People showed up in masses. They, they really, uh, they came through and showed up to the brewery. That was awesome. At 10 30 in the morning, everybody got, got put off. Their schedule was off and everybody just kind of adjusted and dealt with it. Not a big deal. And that's exactly what happened. So, um, it was a lot of fun, you know, talking with a bunch of people. Uh, I just want to call out some of these, uh, some of the people that, that I was able to talk to as well. Carlos was a guy that I spent a lot of time with because I walked to the stadium with him as well. We were in line for what seemed like for like half an hour to get into the damn stadium. The lines were crazy. I don't know why there wasn't like that many people at the stadium. It just seemed like it was uh, security was tighter for whatever reason. But, um, uh, yeah, so Carlos, uh, I met his son on FaceTime while we were sitting in the, while we were online. So that was cool. Um, I, there were a couple people for, that traveled a very good distance um, we had uh, we had people coming from Ireland only for this just for this <laughs> wink 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 just for this there was definitely, there was were definitely not no, on a week long vacation there was definitely no vacation in New York just for this um, Greg uh, from Ohio drove in well, that was his first Yankee game first
2: right? ever no no not first Yankee game first Yankee Stadium game he' said he first, he's oh, been yeah. to a million at, at the Cleveland Indian Stadium and goes all around the Midwest but first time at Yankee Stadium
3: Yep, Jason came in from Indiana. He had an early flight, came in. That was awesome. Um, I didn't catch his his name, but from California, it was a dude from California. Came, I think, with his girlfriend, and uh, they they flew in from California for this event. Like that was that was awesome. Met him at the brewery, Um, and then just a bunch of different like the Trinidad family. There were two families that rolled in masses. The (laughs) Trinidad family, shout out to the Trinidad family, and shout out to the Santiago family because you guys, I think, came and the Trinidad family had. I don't know, six to 10 of them. And it seemed like the Santiago family had like 20 people coming. They just kept showing up. So um, really awesome to see everybody. Awesome to meet everybody. Uh, It was a lot of fun talking baseball and just like hanging out. There were uh, one thing that was was very humbling to me is uh, I can't tell you how many of you came up to me and said hi. And one of the first things you did was ask how my son was doing. And, uh, you know, that just means the world to me. It really does. The fact that you guys, we talk into a microphone twice a week. You guys listen talking Yankees baseball. But then there's, uh, you know, you guys are talking about real life and people and things like that. So, look, that really truly means a lot to me. Um, and, uh, yeah, this whole thing is really special. We're doing this for a reason. We're going to be doing a whole bunch of events next, next year. Uh, this whole Bronx Pinstripe crew that we're, we're building up. Is uh is something that we want to build. A, you know, we want this to be this a community of of people that we see all the time. I know there were a bunch of people that came uh, to this event and they were also in the June 10th event, so it was really cool seeing familiar faces as well. And we really want to build that up. So you know, tell your friends, tell your family. Um, let's get these these massive uh these massive groups going to these games because the Yankees are, are giving us. Uh, some some very good priority on these seats, and they're this year. While because we planned a little bit later, really we didn't come to this uh, conclusion that we we're going to run these events until the middle of the season, and some of the tickets had already been sold. But this off season, we're going to be meeting with the Yankees and blocking off like um, dense areas uh, of uh, tickets, so we will all sit, be sitting together, uh, which to me will be a lot better. So I'm excited. Again, thank you very much for everybody that came out. It's uh it's awesome to see you guys. And um, I'm pumped up for the wildcard game cuz I know we get we're going to see a bunch of people there too so
2: A couple more things just to wrap up the event. First of all, we're 2-0. So just let that be known. We're 2-0 that's at, true. at these events. Uh that's a and pretty judge, good... Judges hit a home run both. That's true. Big games. Uh big record there. And also people love this team right now. That's yeah. the one thing and no matter who what Yankee fan I talk about They're so passionate about this team, how much fun they're having, which we talked about last week, and how the future is bright. That's the biggest difference between 2015 wildcard game and 2017 wildcard game. Right now, the Yankees are on the rise. We're excited about this year, this playoffs, what they can do this year, but we're also excited. We cannot wait until the season next year because we think this team has big things ahead. 2015 was a funeral. We were all hoping (laughs) that everyone was going to hang on for dear life and not choke. And we knew what was going to happen in that Dallas Keuchel game. It was not a surprise to any of us. If you remember back to that 2015 wildcard post podcast, go back and listen because it is hilarious in a bad way. Scott is singing the Cars for Kids song. I was like 12 beers deep and just sad drunk. It was a shit show. This year, we're hoping we're going to be recording after the game. Scott and I plus twenty other people are going uh, to the wild card game on um, on Tuesday. We're going to be recording after that back at my apartment, so hopefully it's going to be a lively and we're going to be in a good mood podcast.
3: It could go either way. It could go either way. I really, I really do hope uh, that it does go in the positive direction because it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a blast. We're going to be doing that one in person. Um, and, uh, uh, well to another person that I forgot to say something to, because this, uh, this, this girl was with her friend. I think her name is Shannon. She has, she listens to the podcast. She tells me she listens all the time. So thank you, Shannon. She was wearing a, uh, the, um, I support hairless cats and bird shirt. The, you and her friend were wearing them. You owe us a DD voicemail. I didn't get it. The voicemail line um, was missing a DD voicemail that you said you're going to gush about him for like three minutes. So I'm still waiting for that. So Shannon, you're on the hook. Need that DD voicemail.
2: And you also have to thank my buddy Kevin for offering up oh, his yes. mother-in-law's place, which his mother-in-law might not be happy about.
3: Yes, Kevin. Thank you. <laughs> Next time uh, I need a place to stay, I will definitely hit up your mother-in-law. You, the, the offer came to me like five times, so I really do appreciate it. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was very generous of you to offer her place up.
2: Um, just a reminder to everyone that our plan for the playoffs is a podcast for every game. Hopefully we have, what would that be? I can't do the math right now, but 13 wins or 12 wins, right? To get a world series victory plus any games they might lose. But there's definitely going to be a game Wednesday, a podcast Wednesday morning, right after the wildcard game. And then hopefully we're doing the division series games as well. So just slight adjustment in the schedule. Expect a podcast on Wednesday morning instead of Thursday morning of this week. The fun fi- and and, and
3: while on quickly on that while while we do have high expectations with editing and and, and quality of um, the things that we do, just take it down a notch your expectations just a little bit just especially for the Tuesday night one because if I have to edit this thing after we do this and if they win and we're you know having beers for all day and all night. Um, it might get a little ugly, so just lower the expectations just a little bit. But the
2: good news is, at least for that that wild card one, we'll be in the same room, so it'll be a little bit easier.
3: Right? Yeah,
2: that's true. Final record for the Yankees this season: ninety-one and 71, 20 games over five hundred. It's their first ninety-win season since two thousand and twelve, which is when they went to the division. Or excuse me, the the championship series, um, and Jeter had the whole ankle issue. But first ninety-win season since twenty twelve. It's pretty amazing what the expectations were at the beginning beginning of the season and then how high expectations were in mid-June and then how low they got like mid-July to where they ended up it's kind of um all in all huge positives
3: oh definitely i think when we did our predictions i think at the what did we say? I don't even remember where we were. Mid-80s. I, I think we were both we're, mid-80s. I, I was going to say 86, like right around 85, 86 games. Right? And
2: you know what? That, If you look at it, that's what the Twins, what do the Twins end up with? 84 wins, right? 85 wins. So they would have been competing with the Twins for a wild card spot. And that's what I think you and I said would be a good, really good step forward for this team is get into the mid-80s and compete for the playoffs in September.
3: Right. No doubt, and I think things went the way we originally thought they were. the The Red Sox won the division, while we've pretty much fought them all the way to the very end for this division. You know, I think a lot of us, and me included, especially during the losing time of uh, of August, I, I thought Boston was going to run away with it, but for whatever reason, they just started sucking when we sucked. They lost when we lost. It was a miracle that they didn't run away with it. And then they got um, good when they, we got good. Yeah, so they exactly they were running in parallel pretty much the entire time. But um, yeah, they were there all the way to the end. So so you know, there's a lot of good experience on this team too for for going going after that division and and they close the season out so damn well. I mean, winning uh, what 20 games in September. That's how how a young team that goes through an entire season starts out of the gate real hot. I think I looked looked up at it was a uh, 15 and eight to, uh, in April. Then they are smoking hot. Get into the middle of the season, stumble, play under 500 ball, and then have the the the. You know the aptitude, the uh, the moxie to come back and fight in September and put up your best month. Like that says a lot about this team and uh, the youth of this team going out and stepping up in those in those big moments. You know to win the either go after the division or get this wild card. So, look, I, I like a proud father. I'm proud of this team. <laughs> like these <laughs> these young guys, uh, the way that they fought. They they have um, and I do believe that that experience in the minor league, all that that experience that they've had together you know, competing for championships in the AAA and AA, I think that helped quite a bit.
2: I just thought of this. So they were below 500 in August, which is pretty shocking considering they made all those trades at the deadline and then they still were below 500 in August. But do you know when it kind of turned around for them was the fight in Detroit?
3: Nice. Then yes, that's that's exactly we circle that date. Or like, might not look like it soon or next week. But if you look back on it at the end of the season, I guarantee they play good ball after this. Think about it. And that's that's, what happened.
2: that's when things started to shift around. They did get swept by Cleveland right after that, but that was when Cleveland was not losing any games and they were blowing every team out for three weeks straight. But twenty and eight in September is a It's a ridiculously good record. They did everything they possibly could to win the division. The Red Sox just matched them. But that fight in Detroit, something happened there. And that's what you and I said. Even though they lost, they lost the battle to win the war with that
3: fight. Absolutely. It was a, and how many things have we seen in the second half of, of ways that this team is gelling? The thumbs down thing. The uh, Toe Night Show, which is phenomenal. Like We're seeing all these things where these guys are just having a, an amazing time together. And if you don't think that like, something like that, like that fight starts that bond even deeper, especially with the veteran guys who aren't around from the minor leagues where these guys all knew each other from. Like those are the things that can, that can really bond a team together and you become loose. And then you start doing dumb shit like that. Like the thumbs down and the, and the interviews in the dugout, like that, that, that kind of stuff like that. That's like kid stuff. And when you're, when you're doing the kid stuff, you're just not thinking and you're just letting your athletic ability who got you to the major leagues, uh, you know, went out and, no more brain. No more brain getting in the way. Just use your God given ability, and that's what happened, man. And they, and they played phenomenal.
2: So let's get through some of the games this week because, in reality, they don't matter anymore. But there's a couple of things that you can take away um, from the week. First of all, Sunny Gray did not look good. Thursday's game was a painful loss because had they won that game, they would have been one game going, uh, one game behind Boston going into the weekend. Or was it one or two? Two. It would have been two, two games. But then. Um, Because Friday, so it would have been one on Friday. But two games going into into Friday, and you would really put pressure on the Red Sox. The Yankees totally choked away that game on Thursday. Girardi managed like they had already given up on the division, which I didn't understand. But it all started with Sonny Gray. He had five walks and six earned runs, two home runs allowed against Tampa. His last three starts, 10 walks and 14 and two-thirds innings pitched. We still have confidence in Sonny Gray, but his last three starts have sucked. That's not good if they if he's starting a
3: game 1 in Cleveland. 10 walks in 14 innings. Horrible. Yeah, that's what's frustrating is the walks. You know, if he's getting hit around a little bit but he's still around the plate. That's something that you know I, I think pitchers can no doubt get past. I mean, granted they can get past walks too, but I think walks are a little bit more concerning because that's that's when you're getting yourself into trouble. It's not other guys beating you on your stuff, you know. It's like you basically giving them free passes and then they come around and uh, and they bite you in the butt. And that's what's happened. And uh, I, you know, a couple of times, the Sunday Gray, even when he's walking guys, he's able to get out of things. But you're, you're when you're playing a team like Cleveland, who's got a very potent offense. Um, and you're in the playoffs you can't do that you just you can't give anybody you know free base runners because they will you will pay for it in spade like dearly it, it'll it'll sink you you just can't do that in the playoffs so yeah it's concerning to me um i do have i do have confidence for whatever reason again i I look at the body of work more um when i'm when i'm looking at these guys still a young guys he's healthy he's got experience in the playoffs good experience and has performed well. So I look at those things, and uh, and and that's where my confidence comes from. But yeah, it's not good when you're coming in, in uh, into the playoffs off of three bad starts. He,
2: for whatever reason, just has has not had command over over his pitches. And then after the game, he was asked about uh, Gary Sanchez essentially because Sanchez had another pass ball in this game. This was kind of like a July all over again game where the starting rotation looked shaky. Gary Sanchez had some pass balls. Girardi made weird managerial moves. Holder comes into a one-run game. What the hell is going on there? But he, uh, Sonny Gray was asked after the game, uh, was the slider in the dirt an important pitch for you, and did you go away from that? And he just said, it's an important pitch for me. He didn't yeah. say, necessarily, I don't have confidence in Gary Sanchez.
3: Because he's not going to throw his catcher under the bus. That's why he's not going to say it.
2: Exactly. But that's kind of a – that that's just – so, uh, it's said Sanchez is our catcher in the playoffs. Like there's this whole thing. The New York post wrote how Austin Romine needs to catch in the wild card game. And Gary Sanchez in the DH and Girardi said, no, come on. We've come this far with Gary Sanchez. He's been a huge help to us everywhere except for <laughs> he didn't say this, but he's been a huge help for us except for the past balls. He's been a positive defensive catcher. Otherwise he's our catcher. It's going to have to be something he works on in the off season. But as far as October goes, Gary Sanchez is behind the dish.
3: Yeah, I mean, and I think I'm probably as as critical on on Gary Sanchez with his uh, with his defensive blocking as anybody uh, out there you're talking to about Sanchez. Like, I just can't let that stuff go. It, it really bothers me. And yes, I do believe it affects the pitchers on what pitches they throw, and and that can just be a uh, a chain of events uh, that that happens with the pitcher, and they're they're throwing pitchers that they wouldn't normally throw in situations that they normally wouldn't throw a pitch. So yeah, it, it's a it's a bad snowball effect and what can happen. Uh, but at the same time as critical as I am and as as nervous as I am late in games with him behind the plate in a tight game he's still got to be the guy because you can't change it at this point during the season he's your guy right now like you said this is something he's going to have to work on in the offseason but you got to have the confidence in him you know whether it's blind confidence or not you got to have the confidence that he's going to do a good job block the balls keep the runners at bay um and, and be there because he's your guy. He's gonna be the guy. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't pull him out right now either. Hell no do you pitch Ro- or do you catch Austin Romine in the one game uh wild card that would be no. asinine.
2: That'd be absolutely asinine. You came one hundred and sixty two games with Gary Sanchez and you're gonna start Austin Romine in the most important game of the season, not to it's mention ludicrous. the fact that Gary Sanchez has caught Luis Severino his the entire season. So you're also yeah. gonna throw that wrench into it?
3: No, it's, it's ludicrous. It's not a it's not a situation that would actually happen uh and and it's you know, newspapers trying to throw something else out there to, uh, to get people pissed off and read it because we all know when New York fans, especially Yankee fans, get mad about something, um, they share it and call people idiots and they get more page views. So uh, it's it's a, it's a good tactic for them to get people over to their site, but it's a horrible tactic in real life in a wild card game. Gary Sanchez, 100% is the catcher.
2: I still reserve the right to have an absolutely full-on mental breakdown if they lose because of a Gary Sanchez pass ball.
3: Oh, me too. Trust me. <laughs> I am dreading, I am dreading the situation being late in the game and a ball squeaking by him. I really am. I'm scared to death of that. That's, that's like the one thing I'm scared of. I, I really hope the Yankees put a ton of runs up in this wild card game and it doesn't come down to anything like that. That's, that's really my hope. But yeah, that's scary because it's happened so many times and there are so many times that runners are scoring on these plays or at least advancing, you know, bases because they're anticipating something like that. And when you have a runner on this toes anticipating a pass ball, like he's going to get to that next back every single time.
2: I, uh, because it's we're recording, bad news. <clears throat> because we're recording at my apartment after I told Leanne, my girlfriend, who's here, obviously, that we're recording after. And I don't think she understands that how intense you and I are going to be, win or lose.
3: No, it's, um, <laughs> And it, we're going to be loud, very loud. Yeah. That's, it's, that I can guarantee that. We're going to be drinking beers. It's going to be a loud ballpark. That place is going to be on fire. And, uh, and then, yeah, it's going to be a loud situation. It's going to be, it's going to be ruckus in that apartment. You might get some noise violations.
2: I just moved in too. Damn it. Uh, Tanaka's best start, potentially best start of the season on Friday afternoon, seven innings, three hits, 15 strikeouts of the Toronto Blue Jays, who already had their bags packed, tea times made, European vacations set for October after they have been out of baseball, out of the season, out of the division for three weeks at this point. But Tanaka is back, everybody, because he struck <laughs> out a bunch of Toronto Blue Jays who don't give a shit anymore.
3: Look, he did look good, though, The and, and when you're looking at the pitches. When you're looking at the pitches, not the swings and misses, but the actual pitches. The actual pitches had a lot of really good downward movement, and that's when you know Tanaka's good. When Tanaka is down in the zone and it's late movement, you're, the other team's in trouble because his uh, his pitches look the same coming out of his hand and he throws like 10 different pitches and he throws them different ways and he throws them at different speeds. So when he's got that good action going down in the zone, he's very difficult to hit. So when you see that Tanaka early on, you, you're like, okay, let's get some runs because Tanaka's going. He starts leaving those pitches up. That's when he gets in trouble. But 15 strikeouts, that's ridiculous. Whether it's a team that, that has given up or not. No, 15 not. strikeouts is a major league. Uh, that, that's a lot of strikeouts.
2: i put... Half of those strikeouts, so seven out of the fifteen, almost half, on the fact that the Blue Jays don't care anymore.
3: Well, they cared uh, enough to um, to come back and, and beat the Yankees on Sunday. I mean, granted, they did not put up a lot of runs this weekend. <laughs> did you see but the Yankees? It's fifteen strikeouts. Did you see the it's Yankees' 15 strikeouts. lineup? It's swings on and misses.
2: What's that? Um, the Yankees lineup on Sunday was was Scranton.
3: Well, I'm just talking about the amount of runs that they put up. That's, that's what I'm putting up. I know. There was one at-bats for the starters, basically, and then they started subbing guys in, and whoever was a, who was not a starter stayed in the game. So, yeah, the game didn't matter. It was meaningless. I watched like 10 minutes of it. Who care? The game didn't matter at all.
2: All I'm saying is don't be suckered in by Tanaka's great start on Friday. I guess it's better than a bad start on Friday if he does get a playoff start, which it seems like Girardi has lined up the playoff rotation after Severino to go Sonny Gray in game one of the DS, Tanaka game two, then Severino would come back for game three, and then Sabathia would pitch in game four because Sabathia pitched on Saturday. So we were saying that maybe Sabathia would get a road start because his numbers are better on the road and Tanaka would get a home start, but it's not going to work out that way. That's my guess looking at what happened this week.
3: I mean, if you're going into this and you're talking about the 15 strikeouts and you're giving it zero credit for that and you're not coming out of that game saying... And you're not coming out of that game saying, "Okay, confidence level is definitely higher than it was after before this game." Then you're a lunatic, and and you're not looking at what's happening. You because know, me? one, two things. Let me tell you why. Two things. One, he had a good performance. The action on the ball was good. That's positive. Stuff. Two, two. Yeah, good stuff. Was, he was that toolsy guy on the live arm. Day. Appreciate that. And then the second thing is. The man himself is building some confidence, whether it's false or not. I don't give a shit. He's gaining confidence by striking out 15 Canadians that came into Yankee Stadium, and he's taking that, and he's going to own it and and use it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where that confidence comes from as long as you have it. As long as you have that confidence and you know what you did and know your action was good, bring it back again. Bring that confidence back because that's a positive thing. And if you look at the start before that, you know, we are are, – the, the level was not very high as far as confidence for Tanaka. The second half of the season, it's been much higher. Obviously, he's, been, he's had a very good second half. But when you're looking at start by start, you know, we wanted to see one more good start before the playoffs, and that's what we saw. So confidence level up.
2: I guess in all seriousness, his, his previous start also came against the Blue Jays. It was bad. So at least he pitched again against the same team and, and had, you know, had some confidence.
3: Yeah, Nick Goins didn't completely destroy Tanaka. Nick Goins.
2: Uh, Sabathia got the start on Saturday. It's interesting because for a couple of reasons. Obviously, the game still mattered. They scratched Jaime Garcia, which was good for us. But that, if things go poorly, could potentially be Sabathia's last start in a Yankee uniform.
3: Yeah, that could have been. Uh, that could have been his last start. It was It was an interesting thing to see. I'm glad he pitched because I did not want to see Jaime Garcia throw on Saturday. So that was a positive. Um, and he pitched really well. I mean, this dude has really come back out this year. I mean, comeback player of the year, I don't know how you, maybe Chase Headley's that guy, but CC is has really been, if you look at his numbers all year long, has been a model of consistency. Um, if you look at the numbers first and second half, he had some time where he you know had some nagging injuries and he was giving up some home runs early in the game. But if you look at the total body of work in the first half and the second half, I mean, he was very consistent and he won 14 games on the year. How many people predicted CC Sabathia winning 14 games? And what did I say he threw 150 innings? Like, that's that's more than I expected him to throw.
2: Yeah, so let's actually talk about that now because we're going to talk about it later. But he finished the season with 14 wins, a 3.69 ERA. He was very consistent in the first and the second half, minus the two DL stints. One of them was the hamstring injury, and then another one was a knee injury later in the season. But from what we expected out of a 37-year-old CC, very, very consistent stuff. Everyone we've talked to who is in that clubhouse says Sabathia is a leader on that team. He's kind of the dad in a good way of the pitching staff. So, what do you think is a realistic contract if the Yankees want to bring him back?
3: Yeah, whenever I think of the the contract for CC, because of the injury, so this is where it's, it gets I, I think weird. If he wants to pitch in New York, he's not going to get a, a long term contract. Maybe he gets some kind of a um, uh, a one year contract with a club option type thing, so that. You know, and and there's uh, if there's, he hits it's, incentives it's heavily weighted. If
2: he hits incentives, maybe the exactly. option automatically picks up or something like
3: yeah, that. something like that. Some some kind of a um a way for him to get another year if he does want another year, because when you're looking at other you know similar, if you're looking for some precedent in the contracts and you're looking for um, someone who got something similar in a similar age, you can circle Rich Hill, lefty went into um, the Dodgers, uh, same age right, thirty seven years old. Yep. And what was it? It Was it four year contract? Three, three year, three years, contract.
2: like forty something million.
3: So uh, that's the type of contract you could look at. Uh, I don't think he's going to get a three year contract from the, the Yankees unless it's some kind of an incentive like we were just talking about. It's it's got to be constructed in the right way. But the the thing I, I think of is the uh, Hiroki Kuroda. Like you're going out, you're you're going to get a one year, I don't know, $16, dollars, and you come back. And but I I still see the incentives in there, because if he pitches this way again next year and he feels good, he might want to come back again.
2: I think it's, it's makes sense for both sides. The Yankees want to bring him back because he adds some stability to the rotation. That's going to be pretty young next year with Montgomery Severino. Um, you already have, uh, Sonny gray as well. And Tanaka. So you basically will bring him back. Well, this, the same ro- Tanaka
3: Unless Tanaka ops out, yeah, which he probably will it's not point. happening.
2: Uh, you basically bring him back the same rotation, understanding the fact that, that Sabathia could go at any minute from injury. But you bring him back and say, if he's healthy, he's kind of figured out how to pitch. He's pulled an Andy Pettit, and he's figured out how to pitch with, with pretty mediocre stuff, let's be honest.
3: Well, I mean, I, I still think his off-speed stuff is pretty good. I mean, but he, he can, doesn't he have, can can have can the locate. fastball
2: anymore. He's, he's throwing 90 miles an hour, he's locating. That's what he's doing. He, he's he's out-thinking the opposing hitter.
3: Yeah, and honestly, this the, the way that everybody's playing baseball and learning how to, to swing with an uppercut and they're so worried about the, uh, the angle of their launch and just making sure they have all these... Oh, it's a different game right now. They're hitting fastballs. The, the league is a fastball-hitting league. You get a guy in there who can throw junk and locate it, he's going to have success if he could do it. I mean, CC can still ramp it up to 92, 93 when he wants to. Uh, he can get that fastball over and sneak it by somebody. But he's learned how to pitch uh it's and and the other thing is the injuries we're talking about if, if if he has a bad injury then that could be something but i mean he had a knee injury this year he had a hamstring injury but he actually came back pretty damn quick he really didn't have much of an extended uh an, an extended stay on the dl for no. a, a long period of time well,
2: he made 27 starts the i think a yeah. full season is like 32 33 starts
3: so that's i mean that's showing that you can do it that's that's good stuff Absolutely. I and think he's it, not skinny. He's back to eating whatever <laughs> the frig he wants, and that's good. Right? Like you're not thinking about the skinny Cece thing. That experiment was bad. Never go back to that. Just be be you. Be you, Cece. Eat that, eat that Captain Crunch. You you know, do what you gotta do. Like you
2: said, well, like you were talking about with Ruko,
3: Sabathia is established
2: in New Jersey. His family is here. He's been with the Yankees for eight seasons at this point. Like he doesn't want to go anywhere else at, at, at this time. Bring him back on a one-year deal. He's not gonna He's not going to say no. If you offer him fair market deal for one year, I don't think he'd say no if he still wants to pitch. And I don't think a three-year contract is out there for Sabathia.
3: No. And I I do believe uh, that this is the place he wants to be. I mean, it makes sense. Like you said, he's he's got an establishment. Rucco was even talking about that. Uh, There's been reports even today, uh, the, the Yes Network has been talking about this as well, that there's mutual... Um, you know, there's mutual interest on both sides. And, and it does make sense for both both parties to come out and say, hey, let's figure something out. Let's work it out so that we can get you back. Because you're looking at a guy who's your four or five. Um, and, and like you said, stability. You won 14 games today with a young rotation. A guy that is a leader in that clubhouse could help people out. You know, it's a no brainer, in my opinion. It's really a no brainer.
2: All right, before we start to talk about the wildcard game, if you guys want to go to the wildcard game and you're looking for tickets, the best way to do it is with SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports events and concerts can be complicated, but there's a better and simpler way. It's with SeatGeek. It's the easiest, smartest way with the app. You can get tickets uh, right on your mobile phone. It's a great mobile experience. I have the app. I know Scott has the app. We've both used it to get tickets before. Uh, SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and they find amazing deals. You get the most bang for your buck. They color code the tickets so you know if if it's a green seat, you know you're getting good value. If it's a red seat, stay away from that. Um, And there's a lot of tickets out there for the playoffs and you don't want to get screwed. You don't want to buy fraudulent tickets. Don't worry because SeatGeek is fully guaranteed. There's nothing you have to worry about when you use it. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and our listeners get 20 bucks off their first SeatGeek purchase using the promo code Bronx. So if you want to go to the wild card game, you can get 20 bucks off by downloading the app, use promo code Bronx, and you can buy two beers at the stadium for the same price it would have cost you uh, before you use the SeatGeek app. Okay, Scott, you ready to talk about this wild card game?
3: Yeah, man. Let's break this one down.
2: Let's break it down and let's,
3: and let's hope it's a freaking blowout, <laughs> please.
2: Um, so let's first talk about the roster and what what going to do with the roster. As of Sunday night, when we're recording this, it has not been announced what the final roster can be. We can guess 23 of the spots, but the last few are going to be interesting. Girardi has said he's debating using nine or or having nine or 10 pitchers. And that makes sense because this is a game seven. You're going to have pinch runners. You're going to have defensive replacements. If it goes to extra innings, you're going to want to do some weird stuff where you might see Tyler Wade pinch run and you might see Torres pinch run and they're going to need to go in the field. So you want to have guys who can come off the bench and hit for them. You want to have Matt holiday who can pinch hit for them if need be, or you want to have Clint Frazier, somebody backing up. So here's kind of what I think is going to be with the roster. Obviously, Sanchez is a starting catcher, Romine's backup. I think Bird is going to be the starting first baseman from everything we've seen this month. He's been playing every day, and he's been hot. And also, you'll see some numbers later on against Irvin Santana, which supports my argument as well. Castro, second. D.D. short. Headley, I think, is going to be the starting DH. Frazier, starting third baseman. Uh, Gardner in left. I think Hicks in center, but you might think Ellsbury. One of those guys will be starting in center field. The other one will be on the roster as well. Judge is our right fielder, no doubt about that. Backup outfielders and infielders, we've got Clint Frazier, Toreas, Wade. Holiday as a pinch hitter. We know Severino is going to be the starter. Chapman, Batansis, D-Rob, Kainley, Green, and Warren are the bullpen guys. That brings us to 22 players. That leaves 23, 24, and 25 up in the air. What do you think Girardi's going to do with this roster on the back end of it?
3: So I think it's gonna be more pitching. I think Girardi obviously likes to do the matchup thing. He likes to bring in guys for lefty righty. Um, so I definitely think Kal- I think um, Shreve is gonna be part of the the roster. I think he's he's gonna want that that another another lefty that can go in in a situation and get one guy out. Oh God! Um, you could think about maybe CC being on there, but because CC just pitched on Saturday, I think he's out for 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 that game. Um, so I don't think. If he's looking for a lefty, he's going to go to someone who's in the bullpen and who's fresh. I think Shreve is that guy. Um, I do believe that he's going to have another starter just in case. I, I think he needs to have that like just-in-case starter, and that's probably going to be Sonny Gray, just to have him on the roster. Um, And then I think um, the last one, or that is the last one. So that I think no, those are the two. No,
2: no. Do I have one more? One more. Do you think he's gonna One go more. with another guy like um Tanaka? I don't think
3: he's gonna I don't think he's gonna carry a third catcher.
2: Okay, well, because that's Eric Kratz. So the, you rule that out, then you got guys like either Tanaka in there, or is it gonna be Ben Heller or someone like that?
3: Yeah, and I think Ben Heller's actually been pitching really well over the past week and a half, two weeks. Um I could see him being out there as well. I could see Heller being out there. I, I think he's gonna load up on bullpen arms.
2: I, I do too, because you don't know. If you go fifteen innings. You don't want to have to. You don't want to have to stretch somebody out back there. You don't want to have to send Adam Warren out for a third inning just because you don't have someone else to go out there.
3: No, exactly, and that's that's what I think is uh, he's going to make sure he doesn't get himself into a trouble. That's why I think one starter will be in the back uh, and waiting. So if there's an extra inning game, you never know if, if there's a if there's an extra inning game, you might see Sonny Gray roll out. We'll see and, and just and just go.
2: This might then instead of Sonny Gray, you might say Tanaka because. Tanaka, if he pitches one inning or two innings on Tuesday, could still come back and pitch in a division series right away, uh, whereas Sonny Gray couldn't, you know, because Sonny Gray won't be able to pitch in game one. He'd have to be bumped. So you'd have to flip flop him if you want to do that.
3: So you want to bring Tanaka, the man? No, that, that dude, means I'm playing. Devil, least, I'm playing devil's at advocate. At least six days off, maybe seven, <laughs> and can't throw on during the day or sometimes at night or if it had rained within 24 hours. But you want to bring him in potentially in the 10th inning of an extra inning tie game, wild card game seven. Uh-uh. Dude,
2: did you just see he struck out 15 Blue Jays that didn't give a shit?
3: <laughs> yeah, he was on seven days rest and he loved it. I'm playing I, I devil's advocate. I got you. I'm gonna. I'll go. Uh, I'll go. Devil's advocate to your devil's advocate. I'm gonna, um, triple stamp or double stamp. You will not see Tanaka there because Tanaka is such a creature of habit, and Jordy knows that, and he's just not gonna mess with it. So I think Sonny Gray could actually game up and be out there uh, in a situation like that. I could see him doing actually. Uh, you know, ballsing up and going out there.
2: It's gonna be Irvin Santana versus uh, Luis Severino. Santana's had a great season. 16-8, 16 and 8, 3.28 ERA and 211 innings pitch. He's been durable. His postseason career stats 2 and 2, 5.56 ERA and 22 innings. Pretty bad, pretty mediocre, but he has not pitched in the playoffs since 2009. His last game in the playoffs was a loss to the New York Yankees back in 2009 when he was with the Anaheim Angels. I looked up some career numbers of our starters. First Santana, Gardner leading it off, has great numbers. 11 for 31. That's a three fifty-five batting average and three doubles versus Santana. And I think he had a hit in his last uh, game against Santana as well a couple weeks ago. So good start at the top of the order against Santana.
3: Yeah, I think that uh, they're, they're obviously going to go like very lefty-heavy. Um, you were talking about having the uh, center fielder. You think it's going to be Hicks? I, I don't know, honestly. I'm not, I don't really have a, a gut feeling on which one it's going to be. Hicks was playing today also, so... That was maybe, maybe that's a sign that Ellsbury is going to be the guy. I don't know. I don't know if you can read well, it. Look at the numbers there. The number, I, yeah, the numbers are, um, and this is also a, uh, you know, the, this is his former team too. So I don't know if Girardi puts that in his binder anywhere that this is like a, a revenge game or whatever, you know, something. They gave up that on him. They traded
2: for John Ryan Murphy. They gave away Hicks for J.R. Don't call him J., or John Ryan, don't call him J.R. Murphy.
3: Yeah, that's got to be insulting, right? You got to be like, "I want to play. Get me in the game right now. I'm going to whoop these guys' asses."
2: But the binder it, says Hicks is 0 for six, whereas Ellsbury is 10 for 34 with a
3: homer off of Santana. I think if you see Ellsbury start and um, you know go 0 for two, I, Hicks will come in the game. <laughs> I can see something like that. You know, like Girardi's got no problems putting <clears throat> Ellsbury on the bench. Who would you like rather have problems? pinch
2: running late in the game?
3: I would rather have Ellsbury running. Right. So He's a better base runner,
2: l- So listen, I mean, it, it's, uh, it sucks for Ellsbury. He's played well in September. He's a $153 million man. But if we're saying who's more valuable coming in in the seventh or eighth inning and we need a pinch runner, it's Ellsbury versus Hicks. And Hicks, I, 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 Hicks is a, a switch hitter, so you have that versatility in the lineup where you don't stack lefties or stack righties. And he's a much better defender. Not that Ellsbury's a bad defender, but Hicks can rob a grand slam Ellsbury would have injured his ribs on that play.
3: See, well, I think what you just did is contradict the point because to me at that point, Hicks is a little bit more valuable off the bench because he is a switch hitter and because he has that, that defense um, I think you know, obviously we know his arm is a hell of a lot stronger, so he actually feels better later in the game for defense. You want to make sure you're solid, you know, making that solid. And then also he could come in a, a, against somebody, uh, lefty or righty as a pinch hitter and do damage. So that's also, Girardi wants, he's going to want some So if, if Headley is starting and he doesn't have Headley to bring in, he's going to want another, um, uh, switch hitter on the bench. So one of those two guys to me is going to be is, is not going to be starting. So that he does have that um, that opportunity to bring someone in with uh, with a little bit of potential damage against a righty or a lefty.
2: The Headley thing is interesting because I think Headley's going to be be the DH. He um, is is not going to start him at third base because Todd Frazier's there. And I think Bird with Bird's numbers, two for five, two homers off Irvin Santana, will get the start at first. Bird's the first baseman of the future. He's been playing all of September. He's hot right now. He, he has a ton of RBIs. He's, he's great uh, with uh, men on base. If you look at Headley versus Holiday, it's interesting because Headley, 4 for 13, a 408 batting average, but 13 at bat, still relatively small sample. Holiday, also small sample, 5 for 12, but he's done damage. Two homers and two doubles, hasn't faced him since 2014. So I think the, a big decision for Girardi will be Headley at DH or Holiday at DH.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. And you're getting two different players. You're getting Headley, a guy who's going to get on base. Holiday is the guy that can change a game with one swing. You're not getting that big home run usually by Headley. I mean, he'll he'll hit the ball over the part over the wall occasionally, but Holiday's the guy. I mean, Holiday hit one today, I think, right? Yep. And so you're you're seeing this guy who's coming back um, has not been great. Obviously, we all know that he's he's really not been good uh, since he's since he got that disease in Oakland when Billy Bean sent in a poison rat to. Do something, defecate in his food. I don't know what the hell happens, but you know, obviously Holiday has not been the same that's, since uh, that. Trip. That's in Moneyball 2. Yeah, Moneyball 2, The comeback. The uh, so I don't know. I, I, I think that Holiday will not be the starter. I do believe that. I agree with you. I think Headley's going to be there, but I don't really know, man. Headley, uh, freaking Girardi will do. Could go completely off the wall. And he could go different. rogue. Yeah, he could go completely rogue. Uh, and start Austin Romine for all we know, and Gary Sanchez could be the DA. Who the hell knows? Who would you also though rather have pinch hitting late in the game? Well, see, that's the thing. To me, it depends what you want because Hedley can is a switch hitter. But usually, when you're Whereas pinch hitting, holiday, late in the you, game, you're, you want
2: a home run. Exactly. You want a home yeah. run. If you're pinch hitting, if you're down to your last couple outs and you're like, well, we're, we can send up a holiday, or excuse me, we can send up Gardner or maybe pinch hit Holiday and maybe he can jack one out of the park or something. You know, something like that.
3: Yeah, and that's why I do believe that Holiday will sit. I, I don't think he's going to get the start. I think Headley has earned it. Honestly, I think Headley has done a lot for this team this year and has earned the start to to play. Um, the only the only thing I'll say is that I, I just think he brings a lot of flexibility off the bench because he can play multiple positions. He can obviously switch hit. So Girardi might want that Swiss Army knife off the bench.
2: Well, that's why you have the multiple backup infielders.
3: Yeah, but they're not Headley. They're, they're you know they're not a guy who has done things for a long time and come in and played third base for you for a while and has come in and played first base very well you know? after you desperately needed a first baseman. Um, you know, and we all know what Girardi does with his veterans. Like When he owes a guy, when he has a, a veteran guy on there, he does believe he owes them something and he gives them that courtesy. So I think Headley has, has earned it. And that goes a, a pretty good long way, I think, with Girardi. A
2: couple other guys, Castro and Didi have not had good success off of Santana. They both have two hits. Didi's hitting 118 and 17 at-bats. Castro is 182 and 11 at-bats. Gary Sanchez only has faced him once. It was this season he's 0 for 3. Same for Judge. He's 1 for 3, but that one was a home run to right center field.
3: Yeah, and I mean, look at throw some of this away as well because Castro is freaking hot right now too. I think he's coming on at a very good time. If we can get a hot Castro, that's a that's a huge improvement to the lineup because when he's going and you got these guys around him who are already hitting, I mean that there's just a, that's another power bat uh, that can that can hit gaps, hit for average, and get on base. So I'm really glad to see that he's hitting well. And to me, you know, he can hit most people. I think he's again. I've talked about this. I think he's got one of the better hand-eye coordinations. Uh, I think he could probably hit for probably one of the higher averages on the team. I think he's uh, that good of a better.
2: I can't wait for Tuesday.
3: That's going to be freaking fun, man.
2: <laughs> it's it's gonna we're gonna be all jacked up. It's going to be awesome. Um, well, let me tell you
3: one thing that's that I'm circling. You now that's that's making me a little bit. I'm not going to say nervous, but um, the fact that uh, Miguel Sano has come back and he has just a came back this weekend. I know, but he's back, <laughs> and it just—it's a different element in the lineup when you're adding a guy like that mm-hmm. who can change a game at the drop of a hat. Hey, was his season, the man can hit the ball out of the park with with anybody?
2: Was Sano's season
3: ruined by the home run derby? Uh, I don't know. I haven't followed Sano's season, so I'm not sure. Well, he where, was injured he and he par-
2: participated in the home run derby, so
3: maybe yes, it must have ruined it.
2: Let's do some season-ending awards, and if you guys remember, we did mid-season awards, so what we're going to kind of do is see how things have changed, because I went back and I listened, I figured out who we gave our awards to mid-season, and let's give some end-of-season awards. I think you and I are in agreement, Aaron Judge is the team MVP, would you say? Absolutely. Who's the? R- he's the league MVP, so he's the team MVP, too. So first half, runner-up MVP, you had Matt Holiday. I have a yeah. feeling that's going to change for you in the second half.
3: <laughs> Why? Well, and I'm not going to give my boy... By the way, I won the bet. That's that's a thing. And I'm going to see you on Tuesday so I can collect. Okay. That's awesome.
2: I don't know. Did you win? I think we need a vote. Because yeah, Greg Bird well, came no back vote, with a vengeance. We, Greg Bird came back with a vengeance in September.
3: Uh, look, he's still under the freaking Mendoza line on the season.
2: Is he? So Yeah. But how many RBIs?
3: Oh, I have no idea. Not as many as Holiday.
2: Who's your, who's Not as your, many as Holiday. All your, I know
3: is I, I won that bet. That's that's what I'm uh, two beers. Can't wait for them. To, they're going to be delicious. Man, what, be what are you asking me now? Uh, who's, <laughs>
2: who's, gonna, who's your second half uh, team MVP? Runner up. Uh, Actually, it so, still might be over Judge because Judge didn't have a great second half.
3: Yep. My second half MVP is Didi Gregorius. I'm looking for it on the sheet. That's why I can't talk. So Didi was uh, so the, the reason I picked Didi is because Didi has been the model of consistency all year long, And the second half was really no different. The guy came out. Uh, he was hurt for what, a month, right around there. Missed all of April. And missed all of April. Came back out second half with a vengeance. If, that, if he didn't miss April, he would have hit 30 home runs and 100 RBIs. And we're talking about him neck and neck with Aaron Judge in the AL MVP race because the guy was that good. Playing a phenomenal defense, locking everything down, you know, asking the interviews and the fake interviews and the dugout. Like the guy is 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 an all around great player. I think is is probably one of the uh, one of the glue guys in in the bull, in the uh, dugout on this team in the clubhouse. So my MVP goes to Didi Gregorius.
2: I one hundred percent agree with you. His one hundred and sixty two game average. You just said this, but his one hundred sixty two game average, thirty home runs, thirty two doubles, one hundred and four RBIs.
3: That's insane. It's insane. And and from what he came over as, the type of hitter that he came over as to the guy that he is now is just unbelievable that he's made these adjustments. It really is. It's it's such a credit to the way he works and how diligently he changed his swing because he couldn't hit left-handed pitching when he came over here. I mean, it was embarrassing. They said it was one of the worst they've seen. And now he is, uh, you know, one of the better shortstops against left-handed pitching. One of the better infielders, I'd say, against left-handed pitching. So he's an all-around good player. He hits for average, too. Um, but he's also hitting for power. The 30 home runs, nobody saw that coming.
2: No. The ballpark's perfect for him.
3: Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely perfect. We've, and we could say that about a bunch of guys.
2: The, uh, you know, one thing we don't hear as much anymore is we have to move Didi so we can make room for Gleyber Torres. People are now saying, how are we going to fit Gleyber Torres in this infield with Didi Gregorius?
3: And Castro, even. I think Castro's even getting a little bit more love, even though he does get shit on a lot more than uh, Didi. Yeah, nobody's talking about anything bad about Didi anymore. Finally, people are... are it's, stay woke, people. Finally awake, looking at Didi Gregorius as the long-term shortstop for the New York Yankees, because that's exactly what he is. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Cy Young, both in the first half, we had lose Severino, but we said kind of by default, because if you remember, Tanaka was terrible, Pineda was terrible, this was all pre-injury. Uh, Severino was good but he wasn't second half Severino second half Severino I think well first of all here's spoiler alert here's my my uh, second half Cy Young it's Severino because he went nine and two with a 2.28 ERA in 86 innings 106 strikeouts 181 batting average against and that is exactly why Brian Kenny you do not start Chad Green in the wild card game
3: yeah, and I'm I'm in agreement with you. This is a this is a no-brainer. I mean, the dude was was really good all year round. I, I would give an absolute honorable mention to CC because when you're looking at a 37 a year old man who is going out there after knee problems, having a problem with the knee, having a problem with the hamstring, and still going out there throwing 150 plus innings, getting 14 wins, uh, pitching to a 3.69, like that that is a guy that is uh, was the model of consistency in the first and second half. I think he had uh, seven wins in both first and second half. So uh, honorable mention to CC for keeping the the ship together too, because there were moments that were not good, and uh, and CC Sabathia was there the entire time. The entire time, but you know the the way that the team closed the year too, uh, it was the pitching staff was good.
2: Definitely, who's your biggest positive surprise in the second half? The first half for both of us was Aaron Hicks, and because of injury, he's not going to show up on the second half.
3: So my um, my biggest positive in the second half was uh, Masahiro Tanaka, because he was so freaking bad in the first half. He was actually my biggest disappointment for the first half, uh, because he was an absolute bum in the first half. He just forgot how to pitch, and he came back out in the second half. Uh, actually, ever since what June at the end of uh, at the end of June, I think it was June thirtieth, is when the, the the stats go back to where you can really see a significant improvement as far as the numbers. And he was he was good. You know he had. A few different blow up starts, but for the most part, he actually corrected the, um, himself and was back to, I'm not going to say old Tanaka because he wasn't as good as he was you know, the year before, last year or two years ago, um, but he got back to a, a very good pitcher. You know what he was in the
2: second half? He was a, a very good number three, solid number two pitcher.
3: Yeah, and that's over what he did in the first half is the biggest improvement in the second half.
2: <laughs> you have an honorable mention as well.
3: Yeah, the honorable mention would be Chase Headley, and that's just because we have left him for dead. You have left him for dead a million times. Um, we left his uh, right-handed bat for dead. We buried that bat, I think, both of us. And you look at the numbers, and he's really been pretty consistent all year. The guy made the move from third to first. That team earned him move. a lot of points. That earned him so team many guy. points, guy. Yeah, team guy. I mean, Frazier comes over is the third baseman. Headley's like, no problem. We have a glaring hole at first base. Bird can't stay healthy. Chris Carter was a, an embarrassment that he even wore the pinstripes. I'm going to take first base and I'm going to man it and I'm going to do a good job. And that's exactly what he did. He did a he did a good job. He was uh, he caught fire in a you know a, a few week stretches, multiple times during the season. So Chase Headley's the guy, man. He had a, a scorching very well April, and then he came back and had a, a, I think it was May or June he was bad, and then for the rest of the year he was just consistent Solid. and good. Yeah,
2: definitely. Uh, My biggest positive surprise in the second half, this guy didn't... He was good in the first half once he came up. He didn't really burst onto the scene until the second half. Chad Green. We've talked about Chad Green a thousand times already. So much so that people are now saying he should start the wildcard game. That's how good he was. (laughs) Uh, Filthy numbers. Filthy strikeout numbers. Multiple inning guy. He can be the bridge in the playoffs. He can be the Andrew Miller type in the playoffs. Um, I think because of Chad Green, you have to look at the Yankees potentially trading Dylan Batanzas in the offseason.
3: Yeah, I guess. Well, I mean, that's a whole podcast for the offseason as well, but we could, we could spend a lot of time on that. But you're not really taking a guy at his uh, highest point. Hopefully, if Dylan and Batances come out and throw some really good innings in the playoffs, uh, he gets his, uh, his numbers back up. But yeah, I mean, someone's, something's got to give at some point, and you might be able to get a lot of value from one of those guys, and especially for Batances, uh who's a younger dude. And has a uh, team friendly contract, but Chad Green was phenomenal. Like the guy, obviously hit his stride. Uh, I think you and I both talked about him being a, a guy that we saw at the end of last year. It just looked like his stuff was um, more suitable for the bullpen because you know he didn't have that third pitch that he could really go to. But with two pitches in the bullpen, he's filthy. I mean, just filthy. They talk about the the spin rate and how the fastball just jumps on you, and he does hide it a little bit in his delivery as well. And it's just effortless. And the guys in the bullpen say that he's got the best fastball on the team. Um, but he pops it in the high 90s, probably hits 100. And uh, yeah, just confidence. You can see the confidence in him. He's really got it. So it's really good to see. And I think you said that he could be the bridge guy. But I think we have multiple bridge guys, honestly, because we've seen now what D-Rob can do. I think I have so much confidence in David Robertson at any point in the game at this point. Uh, Since he has come over from the Chicago White Sox, he has been like the David Robertson of old, maybe even better. He's been phenomenal, like reborn, loves being in the Yankees again. And... uh you know he's a guy that that can go multiple innings too. So we have two of those dudes.
2: I want to see if if they have a situation doesn't matter what inning it is they need to get out of like a second and third jam or something like that. Bring in D Rob because he is Houdini. He loves inherited runners. He doesn't give a shit. He will get out of it. But Chad yeah. Green can come in in a clean inning in the fifth inning and get you to the seventh inning.
3: Yeah. No. Absolutely. I, I think that's a that's a very good scenario. So it's and game like situations. Said, it is game situations and hopefully the everything lines up with the way that Girardi thinks and does the same thing and uh, you know we don't get Chase and Shreve coming out in the 5th inning of a one run game the, of a one run because the numbers, yeah because the numbers look good and, and because um well we just needed to get one more out and then for after that I had Kingley and D-Rob and Chad Green and ready to go because that's what happened on Thursday he's like oh i just need one more out so i'm just going to throw in anybody cuz anybody can get it out no so yeah i don't know I, Fault. I just pray to god he doesn't do anything stupid
2: uh, who was your biggest disappointment in the second half or what was?
3: Yeah. So the biggest disappointment we've been doing people here, I, I buck the trend here. Uh, I, there was, to me, there was really not one person that was a major disappointment. I, I just kind of circled the bullpen, um, because of the one, lo- the one run game losses, there were just too many of them. We had, but was bad at certain points. Chapman was bad at certain points. Uh, we had everybody in the bullpen bad at, at, at one point besides Chad green, it seems, um, and D. Rob had you know one or two bad start uh, outings, but for the most part, those one run losses. And when you look at those one run losses, if the Yankees were to, I think we said, win fifty percent of them, they would have easily won the division. So that if, was the biggest reality. They just
2: needed to win four more of them.
3: <laughs> yeah, they they, they they couldn't close out these games with the type of guys that they had in the back of the pen, um, and they won and they lost so many of them. That's a disappointment because when you look at what could have been. Granted, you know, we could probably talk about that with a bunch of things, but that's the most glaring thing because it's such a um, it's so against what this team looks like when you when you take a look at the roster.
2: I agree with you. I'm going to name names, though. I'm going to say Batansis and Chapman because they were both bad at different times. So we've never seen Chapman and Batansis right at the same time. Chapman got pulled out of the closer role, and Batanzas was filthy. And then once Chapman started to get his act together, Batanzas shit the bed. And it just doesn't make sense. And, and Batanzas had another bad outing against Toronto on Friday. He couldn't, he couldn't close out the ninth inning, four-run game. He couldn't do it. He had to be pulled. And Chapman had to come in and save his ass. And you said the one-run games, it really came down to on the road. Because I just looked this up right now. The Yankees were one game under 500 on the road, 40-41. and 41. Yet they outscored their opponent by over 60 runs.
3: Yeah, that's crazy. So how do that, you? So that,
2: you're you're losing in key spots, one run games, but then you'll you'll you're dominating them, but then losing in key spots.
3: Yeah, it's frustrating when you see that, especially when you look at the names on the back of um you know when you look at the guys in the back of the uh, bullpen. I mean, you you should not have these problems when you're rolling out with uh the the new Chad Green, who's been dominant. and He was even bad. He was even dominant when the the bullpen was bad. But then you have Batantis and Chapman. Like those guys are; those guys should be relatively consistent in the back. You know, you could scatter a bad outing here and there, but at this point in their careers, there's no reason for it. So yeah, that's that's a disappointment. But that's the only thing. I mean, honestly, you look around; the pitching staff was better uh, overall. I think the the start we, we got much better starting pitching than we expected, especially after the injuries in the first half. Um, and then the offense, you know, once everybody got healthy, you saw what this team was. I mean, they had the they book ended the season, and both months they were healthy. The offense was healthy in April and in September, and they had their both uh, the best month uh, both times because they were healthy and hitting the ball out of the ballpark.
2: Statistically, this team was great. They were better than 91 wins. It was just the one-run games. It's 20. Well, I don't remember their final record, but I think they lost 22 games in one run. It's it's, it's staggering how many.
3: Um, what is your... And the Red Sox were on the opposite side of that spectrum too. Right. And especially with uh, one-run games and extra-inning games, uh, the Red Sox were were very good. So there's your season.
2: What um, uh, they 18 and 25? The Yankees in one-run one-run games.
3: Yeah, that's bad. Not what you want. <laughs> what was your oh shit
2: moment of the season?
3: So I, I think it's just I'm looking at Aaron Judge and I'm I'm seeing this guy just you know hitting the ball. What was it like 123 miles per hour exit velocity or 120 whatever it was. Uh, he's hitting a, a ball. He hit two to the retired numbers in the bleachers. The first one was what? It was just shy of 500 feet. The one on Saturday was what 483. Like this guy is just hitting mammoth shots. Uh, 52 home runs in a rookie year. That's ridiculous. Unbelievably ridiculous. Uh, when you look at his season, yes, he had the middle where he was not good, or that one month really was it August where he hit under 200. Even that month, when you circle that month, he was getting on base. He was taking his walks. He's got a higher on base percentage than Jose Altuve, who's the other guy that people are talking about on VP. The guy was good all year round. He had a bad, uh, the batting average was not there. He looked lost a little bit after the All Star break, but he came back. And that's the biggest thing. He came back and had his best month in September. Most home runs, most RBIs in September when it matters. That's that's like unbelievable compared uh, when you're looking at a rookie and when you see the uh, you know the trials and tribulations that he had throughout the season. So that's my biggest oh shit moment.
2: Mine was when the Yankees acquired Sonny Gray because that was the first time I opened my eyes and I said okay this is the vision that Brian Cashman has for this team. He's lining up Sonny Gray and Luis Severino who are both young and both under contract. He had already acquired Kane Lee Robertson Todd Frazier. I'm not even going to mention Jaime Garcia because that was a waste. But that was the moment I said, this team, and I said it on that podcast we did right after they traded for Sonny Gray, now this team can win the World Series. I still yeah. think that. I still think they can win the World Series. They're not going to be favored, but they can do it. They couldn't do it before they made those trades at the deadline.
3: No, absolutely. If you, the way, Especially the way that Tanaka was going, you can't depend on him as your number two. You just, you just couldn't do it. And now you have a guy that you can, you can really slide on there. And then you look at Tanaka, the way he's pitching, as your number three guy, like that's pretty damn good going up against another team's three guy. Tanaka's probably the best three guy in in major leagues at this point. And then you have CeCe Sabathia as your fourth pitcher. And this is a guy, like we talked about earlier, consistent, won seven games, first half, second half, 14 games on the season. He's a gamer. you know Anybody's going to trust CeCe getting the ball in a big spot. So, yeah, they're ready. They're built. Look, this has been something we've been touting for a long time. This team, up and down, when you look at the lineup, when you look at the bench guys, the rotation and the bullpen they're built for a series they are meant for a series why they got to get so, past the twins you gotta, gotta get, past get past the, past the twins. twins gotta get past the twins please god no pass balls or Miguel no home runs please <laughs>
2: uh the twins have a lot of guys who can pop the ball out of the ballpark obviously i know Dozier but for some reason everybody. it's the
3: asshole of, it's the one asshole that's coming right back from the the, the week that uh, the week of the playoffs coming back on a freaking horse ready to go and I don't know. I just got bad feelings about that. Just don't let <laughs> Don't that bring
2: bad energy to the podcast, Scott. I'm
3: not. I'm not. I'm just saying. It's just things I think about.
2: Uh, quickly, let's wrap up these uh, sort of memories of the season. I just wanted to go through a few different things that people may have forgotten about. Obviously, beginning of the season, before Aaron Judge was Aaron Judge, him and Ronald Torres were best friends. Do you remember all those pictures of them when they switched jerseys and they were high fiving after every home run and Didi was picking them up? That was a fun April with Judge and Torres.
3: It was a lot of fun. They, we got that's when uh, Judge was obviously on fire. Toe was was playing the you know two ninety three hundred guy that he is, getting big base hits. The size difference, it's all good stuff. It was good stuff. They they had a very good little uh, marketing gimmick. I got to give credit to the Yankees uh, social media team this year too. They stepped it up big time. They had not been good in the years past. This year. This was probably the first one, right? The first thing that they did uh, as far as gimmicks. And then they, they had some other good ones. They they had some good stuff. They had some good one-liners. They were better on Twitter. They were better on Instagram. So kudos to the uh, social media team for the Yankees.
2: Well, they stopped treating Twitter like it was a corporate entity and started tr- treating it like it was, which is a cesspool. Do whatever you yeah, want yeah. on Twitter. I mean, that's what Twitter is. Obviously, and it was to good. To a certain they, extent. They, they,
3: <laughs> to a certain extent, but they did, and they came out and did a good job with it. So, yeah. But no, the Judge and Torres thing was fun. It was it was a lot of fun. Torres is like our little dude, you know? He's going to be our little dude for a while, and I'm excited about that.
2: You know what wasn't fun? was the fact that Pete Cosma played 11 games for this team in April when Didi was out. I totally forgot about that until I was looking at the roster. I was like, Pete Cosma played 11 games for them? Holy shit.
3: Was it Pete Cosmo that beat out Rob Snyder for the opening day job yes, for utility he, guys? Well,
2: yes, the he could play defense.
3: Yeah, he, he could play defense. He didn't take ground balls off of his chin, uh, fifteen times in spring training at, at the the last week of auditions. Um, no, yeah, we saw that. That's bad. P. Cosma is uh, not not a good look for a roster.
2: And we had the first base black hole. Bird went down with the injury. Chris Carter then couldn't keep his eyes open. The experiment with Matt Holiday at first base was a disaster. G-Man Choi. It wasn't
3: a disaster. Let's relax with the disaster. We've had a bunch of disasters at first base. That wasn't a disaster.
2: He-Man, Chi man He-Man Ruth came in, burst onto the scene, hit a home run in his first game, and then he was gone in the blink of an eye. And then Brian Mitchell even played at first base.
3: Brian Mitchell did play first, but that was a weird freaking game. Um, yeah, he he man Choi did, did what he was expected to do. Good for him. It wasn't his fault that he left. He just hit a couple home runs. He's an entertaining dude. If you follow him on Instagram or uh, Twitter, he's actually he's very funny. Uh, and they do they love him in AAA. So you know, people in Scranton got him back, and they got their uh, they got their guy back. So He Man did his job when he came up. Get got rid of Chris Carter. That was it, I, give me He Man Choi every day of the week. For my entire baseball loving career over Chris Carter.
2: Hell yeah, that was a, our entire podcast in June was dedicated to please get Chris Carter off this baseball team.
3: What a joke of a baseball player that guy is. <laughs> did he surface with anybody? No, he went back to Oakland. He went back to uh, Oakland. Oh, he hey, didn't go uh, back. He the... He's never in Oakland. Yeah, he was. He started his career in Oakland. I thought. Uh, who knows? Yeah, pretty sure he did. Who knows? And he was he was there originally. He was there at some point, but I don't know if he made if he could stay on the roster or what. It would be a freaking miracle if he did stay on the roster. Somebody give us a Chris Carter update. <laughs> do we really want that? Why not?
2: Uh, before we do mailbags, we got a couple mailbags to end this episode. Please guys take a minute to rate and review the podcast in iTunes. Scott, what did you set the goal at 500 by the end of, end of, uh, end of the season, by the end of the season, I said 500 so this yeah. season could potentially end on Tuesday. So we got a lot of people who need to go rate and review this podcast.
3: Yeah. So it could end on Tuesday. How many are we at now? Like 430, 450, for something. Uh, if you have not rated or reviewed this podcast, please help us out. We've been doing the show. This is what, 179, 179 episodes. If you're listening and you've listened to more than one episode, go and you have not reviewed us in iTunes and you listen on an Apple phone, stop what you're doing. Please go to the, the uh, podcast app and give us a five-star rating and reviewing. It helps us out. It helps us jump in the rankings because the algorithm for Apple is insane. Nobody really knows what how it does. It's based on downloads and reviews. Reviews is a major part of it. So please go in there and do this. If you like the show, if you do appreciate what we do, please go in there because that is what tells us. And then, you know, if you got something to say in there that's, uh, that's funny, you want to jab us, that's cool. Give us the five stars. Give us something. Um, and we're, we're working on that segment. I know I've been talking about it. Andrew's been talking about how we're going to read them. We are. We're just trying to make it a good segment. After the playoffs. <laughs> um, after the playoffs, we will be reading them and they will, uh, uh, they will be part of the show indefinitely
2: also guys submit mailbag questions and uh, call the voicemail line you can do the the mailbag questions at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast and the voicemail line is six four six four eight zero zero three four two. we have a couple to end the show in a few minutes and i have a feeling scott that the voicemails might be ruckus if the yankees win or lose on tuesday so i'm looking forward to that let's finish up with some mailbags the first one is from eric in philly He says, it seems like the Yankees have moved Robertson to the main setup role because of Dellen's control issues. It's to the point where I feel way more confident with Robertson on the mound since he's been nothing but stellar since he's come here. Do you think Girardi will keep Robertson in that setup role moving into the playoffs? And I'm realizing as we're reading this, we answered this about 15 minutes ago.
3: Well, I, I don't know if we totally answered it because I'm not really, when I was talking about him as like the extinguisher guy, I'm not talking about that for, um, for the wild card game or anything like that. I, I could see Robertson. If, if Batances is not uh, a guy that he's going to be confident in the eighth inning, he's not he's going to go to Robertson. He's Robertson's not. the guy he has the confidence in Robertson. So yeah, I do believe that Robertson would be that guy. Isn't I it clear at
2: this point that Patances will not pitch in the eighth inning? I mean, yes, come on.
3: but here's the thing. I don't think that there's one guy. That's the thing. I don't think there's going to be one guy. I think he could throw Canley out there. I think he could throw Warren out there. I think he could throw these guys out there because I think um, that he is. It seems like he's looking at these moments that are high impact, high uh, you know, high alert situations within a game. And that's when he's going to go with the guys that he depends on. Not not named Chapman. Chapman's the ninth inning guy.
2: I think that so, if uh, Girardi could draw it up, he would have Severino seven innings, D-Rob eighth inning, Chapman ninth inning.
3: In a perfect world, then yes, that's going to happen. Absolutely. No doubt about it, because I think he's going to have a lot more confidence in Severino to get out of certain jams than he would somebody else um, given a long series. So if we're just talking about the wild card game and Severino's going deeper, yes, Robertson right now is going to be slated for eighth inning, no doubt.
2: Um, and and like I said earlier, that I want to see Robertson over anyone in that bullpen coming in with inherited runners. Tommy Canely has been awful with inherited runners this season, so I do not want to bring him in, in the middle of an inning with guys on base. Only use him in a clean inning to the extent that you can get away with that. Obviously, there's going to be extenuating circumstances. It might be the extra innings or whatever. But if you can control it, clean inning for Canley. As far as Chad Green goes, he can get out because he can strike guys out. He's got an amazing fastball. But I still like him in a clean inning for for a couple innings uh, at a time. Batances, you can't trust Batances with his control issues coming in with runners on base. Are you kidding
3: me? No, you can't. Chapman can get out of him. jams. It's hard to trust him in a, in a tight game coming in with a clean inning at this point because he's putting runners on base because of his control issues. Right. And we've seen
2: Chapman in September escape jams, mostly caused by Dell and Patances. But Chapman has been able to escape jams. He's got his swagger back. He's changed his grip, like you said. Maybe he changed his arm angle, whatever it is. His fastball is back to getting swings and misses and weak contact.
3: Chapman's back. There's no doubt about it. That guy has got his uh he's got it back. You know, he's he's got his confidence, and when he's got confidence and he's he's got the late movement on that, on that 103 to 105 mile an hour fastball, he's filthy. So he's back for sure. And you never know. Maybe he could go more than one inning. Who knows? I could see I could see Girardi doing kooky things. Let's let's just not let's not act like Girardi's gonna do um very standard things. Because I could see him doing Weird things in a big situation, and it'll drive us all insane. Severino
2: in the offense could make this a really easy game to manage.
3: Oh, God, I hope so. It's just, it's, I feel like my life is just not that easy, though. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like this team, it would be too simple for us to get, you know, five runs in the first inning or be up six to six to one after three. I just, I just, I don't know. It's too good to be true almost. But that's what I'm hoping for.
2: The final mailbag questions from Owen Casey says, do you guys feel like the Yankees have a home field advantage like the Cubs or the Red Sox have? The numbers yes, the I numbers do. bear it out.
3: Yeah, well, the eye test bears it out too. These guys all take advantage of the short porch. I think the stadium um, is a place they all feel comfortable and uh, you're looking at guys who use the opposite field. Judge uses the opposite field. Gary Sanchez uses the oppo- opposite field. Matt Holliday uses the opposite field. Bird owns right th- that right porch. I mean, it's, it's, the dude is going to hit a ridiculous amount of home runs in Yankee Stadium when he is right. Everybody uses it. Didi has been hitting line drives over that short fence. Everybody uses it. It's a it's a place that they feel comfortable and they can score a ton of runs. So I believe that absolutely they uh, they have a home field advantage.
2: Fifty one and thirty at home, six thirty win percentage. That is dominating. Four hundred fifty one runs scored at home. That's five point six runs per game. That is domination.
3: And and also the other thing is that the um, the pitchers have a lot more experience pitching in this ballpark, right? So as the, as do the catchers. The guy, the Gary Sanchez, has a lot of more experience um, coming in than the Twins. Uh, or any opponent coming in to how to pitch at the stadium what the wind does in certain way uh, at certain times like they know the ballpark a lot better so um, and because you have a ballpark that the ball can fly out of those things are important knowing those little intricacies within a game like in the middle of an inning not not being able to go back to your dugout and having somebody tell you something but actually knowing it in the middle of a game in the middle of an at-bat those things are very important and um, I think that's it's going to come in big no doubt and Obviously, they could score a ton of runs.
2: And let's also realize that the the fans are going to be fully behind this team. That was, like I said, a funeral. That was a morgue in 2015 watching that game. Dallas Keuchel owned them. That is not going to happen again. The fans are going to be behind this team on Tuesday night.
3: No, because we we all knew what was coming in. We were all scared to death of that game. This game, I think everybody's hyped up. Everybody's ready to go. I think the guys are hyped up, ready to go. Hopefully not too hyped, and they're not coming out there and swinging out of their shoes. But I could see them jumping on uh, on Santana pretty quick. I, I think that it's going to be freaking electric on Tuesday night, and I can't
2: wait. I can't wait either. The next time Scott and I are coming to you will be right after that wild card game Wednesday morning. The podcast will be up for you guys. Hopefully, it'll be a celebration. Hopefully, it won't be uh, a disaster. Who knows? Either way, it'll Our be. Our voices
3: are going to be gone.
2: <laughs> either way, it'll be entertaining. So you got that going for you.
3: <laughs> right. Call the voicemail line after the game win lose draw whatever call the voicemail line put it in your phones if you're at the game call from there um 646-480-0342 let's get a bunch of good voicemails after the wild card game this is uh this is going to be this is a game seven all of our all of our tensions are going to be like freaking max like we're all going to be freaking out and on this on the edge of our seat the entire game so it's a good time to call it'll be good entertainment call in
2: let's go yankees
0: Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep.
1: I must be out or I pick up the phone.
0: <laughs> Where could I be? <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm not home.
1: Aaron freaking judge. Fifty bombs. He's got thirteen this month. Who's giving the MVP award at 2 l 2 away? gotta take Judge into account. Judge, is dominating! He's winning uh, first place in the American League in almost every statistic. Give him the award. Hey, how you doing this? It's uh, Tony from Soundview, first time, long time. Hey, these Yankees, the Yankees, they look so good right now. I see them on the bench, they're doing interviews, they're having fun. They're, they're, they're frolicking like young gazelles. I, I love where this is going. The youngsters are down, the older guys are down, the guys in the middle are down. They're going up and they're going at it. I see a World Series of shit, it's special, I feel it. It feels like 2009. I can feel it coming. You guys, take care. Bronx Prince strikes, stay strong. Again, a. Tony from Southview. Hey, this is Greg from Ohio. I just wanted to say I had a great time at the event this weekend. It's my first time at Yankee Stadium, an amazing
2: experience. Uh, great regular season now. Let's go get a fucking win in the wild card.
3: Let's go Yankees. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes, and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees.